Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Let's Read the Bible Together reading plan. We also have that plan available on our website, grove.church. Yeah, so make sure to jump on, download the plan so you can stay with us uh, as we work through the po- uh, podcast with this Bible reading plan. And as you do, if there's questions, we would love to take time to answer those questions as much as we can week over week. Uh, and I'm excited. Today's like a three-part question that'll be fun to kind of process through yeah. with you today. Uh, so that's a little teaser for the end of our podcast where we answer these questions. Uh, but if you do have a question, there's two ways that you can get them to us. One is sending us an email. Uh, the email address is info at grove.church. Make sure to put in the subject line a podcast question. Uh, or you can direct message us on Facebook. We are the Grove Church in Washington State. A uh, little green leaf uh, with the G in the middle of it. That's kind of our logo. Uh, but that's that's how to get them to us. We do look forward to answering those questions. So today's going to be a fun one. You say the little green leaf with a G. And I bet you that is the I bet you that is the logo of like fifty percent of Grove. Church. I was just going to say I think that's probably not helpful, but we are in Washington State. Just to be clear, some of them have like an actual grove of trees as their logo, which I've seen before. So Ooh, like fancy! A, yeah, I, I swear when we when we named the church the Grove Church, which was recent. This has not been the name for two thousand thirteen. Yep. I was like, I have never heard that name before, and then now <laughs> it's just like popping up. It's like a grove of trees growing. The our, yep. our sister Grove Churches, yep. I don't know what you even call I them. I don't know if they're sister, but we are not affiliated with other Grove Churches as of right now. Particularly so. that one in Arizona, which seems yeah. awesome. But for whatever reason, we just get people signing up for down there, signing up for our life groups, watching online. That hasn't whole... happened for a while, but That's there true. are, but we do to get every now and then different conversations or emails that come into our, say, hey, this, hey, Grove Church, da, da, da. it's like, you're the wrong Grove Church. We're so not, we're not in Canada. It's fun. But yes, send us those questions. All right, let's talk. Sorry, sorry, listeners. Today we are wrapping up our our soiree into the minor prophets, with the exception of one. We never hit Micah, so I haven't looked ahead. But I'm guessing around Christmas time oh, we're gonna do Micah. Maybe, is, maybe. Or, I hope you're right. <laughs> or it just gets thrown in. Well, because like Jonah felt so random. Is we were in the middle of the history books. And then we jumped forward a hundred years, talked about Jonah, and then went back into the history and then jumped into all the minor prophets. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know where I don't know where Micah's gonna be a nice little surprise for us at yep. some point in the so year. Stay tuned. But we are wrapping up the rest of the minor prophets. Yeah, I shouldn't have said prophets because we haven't hit any of the major prophets yet. So that'll be coming up. Did I hit any of them? I don't think so this year, unless I'm wrong. But this year's been a blur, man. I can't believe it's almost it's the end of September. Like, yeah. that's the crazy thing. Anyways. Yeah. What are you going to do? Zechariah. All right. Zechariah was sort of a twin prophet with Haggai. So they are both ministering at the same time. Uh, and this is, yeah, it's, it's it, you, you see it happen often. Where So for instance, Hosea, Amos, and Jonah are all ministering in Israel at the same time. And it's the same thing with Joel, Obadiah, um, and... Nope, that was it. Sorry. And then the, and then we skipped four generations. I, I need to write these things down, not just do them off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, so Haggai, Zechariah, and then later Malachi are all three ministering in the post-exilic period. So this is after the fall of Jerusalem and the Persian kings allowed the Israelites to return. Um, Haggai and Zechariah are at the same time under the return of Zerubbabel, everyone's, Good job, bro. everyone's favorite. Uh, and then Malachi, we'll talk about him later, but he comes, he's more a contemporary of Ezra and Nehemiah, so a, a generation later. Uh, Zechariah's book of prophecy, however, is much longer, and it it almost certainly stretches over a greater period of time. So the first eight chapters of the book 
are they they're probably written at the same time as Haggai's. Uh, and they're concentrating about the rebuilding of the temple under Zerubbabel. Remember, in the book of Ezra, in the first half, which is about that first return, you get that period of time where the building of the temple ceases. Most of these prophecies are taking place during that period where it's like, hey, hey, get back, get back on the horse, Israel, come on, what are you doing? Uh, and then from chapter nine onward, it appears that many years have passed. And you'll notice if, if um, even if we didn't have any chapters, verses, or headings in your Bible, you would notice it because it switches from prose to poetry with the with the prophecy. So you'll you'll see like there's a there's a genre shift of the book, which kind of also indicates that it's been a long time. Uh, so it's not like it was all written. Probably we should say, I should say yeah. this with a grain of salt. It could have all been written at the same time. Who knows? Uh, and then, yeah, so it would appear that many years have passed and Zachariah is now looking forward to something in the future, but we'll get to that. Uh, and then we'll just to get to dive into the book. He begins by reminding the Israelites of the mercy that they were now living under and to not turn back to the ways of their ancestors. So remember what's been, what's been the big conflict with Israel is that they've turned to other gods. They've rejected Yahweh time and time again, even though every time they go back and they ask for his forgiveness, God is faithful and forgives them. The Israelites are still like, ah, you know, but Baal over there, he looks pretty sweet. Uh, and he, so he's changing his ways. He's going to be, a, he's going to be better. You just don't understand me, mom. You don't understand me in Baal. Um, but yeah, so Zechariah, he's kind of like, you know, Hey guys, guys, remember the fall of Jerusalem. You don't want to go back to this again. So this is in Zechariah chapter one and the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Ido, saying, the Lord was very angry with your fathers. Uh Okay, that's good at least. Uh, Therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. In case you missed it, this is being said by the Lord of hosts. Yes. Uh, Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out, thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and your evil deeds, but they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Not of hosts there. That's just declares Yahweh. Uh, Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words, my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts uh, purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so he has dealt with us. So it's kind of this reminder of, hey, the sins of your fathers, do not go back into that. Don't do it. And I, we joked about it last week, but he's even bringing up like, remember that time with the former prophets where, you know, it didn't exactly go very well. And they're like, yeah, we remember. And we know like, you know, this isn't spoilers to say, we know from the history books that they listened to the prophets and they're like, okay, sorry, sorry, we'll get back to the temple. So this is, uh, we joked earlier about Baal changing his ways. Israel has changed their ways a little bit. So there's still there's still things that need to get addressed. And we'll talk about that, particularly when we get to Malachi. There's some uh, <laughs> some immorality taking hold in Israel, but it seems like idol worship, they've gotten pretty good. Hey, progress. That. Yeah. It's the little things, Israel. It's the little <laughs> things. So the rest of chapters one through six are concerned with eight visions that Zechariah has. So this is how this is how he's going to get the word of what God is trying to say here. So they are in order. Uh, first, a vision of four angelic horsemen whom Yahweh has sent to patrol the earth and report on the condition of Jerusalem. They intercede to God on Jerusalem's behalf, and Yahweh replies that he will have mercy on the people of Israel and that it is time for his house to be built in Jerusalem once again. Full disclosure. Um, and I think 
it's a, it was either a coincidence or maybe, you know, God was kind of like prompting me in this situation. But when I was writing this, as soon as I read and typed out, it was time for um, his house to be built in Jerusalem. Once again, I was listening to a movie soundtrack and the music just swelled into like this epic charge <laughs> music. Yes. And so I thought to myself, that is how they would feel like yeah. that, that writing in Zachariah is like, it is time for my house to be in Jerusalem again. That That would be a sense of like, Yes, let's yeah. do that. Like the sense of, of like celebration, yes, of pride, exa- excitement. Of, yeah, yeah, all of those things. So yeah, yeah, we always say it, but try to look at this through the eyes of the first people who read it. That would be an incredibly exciting statement to make. Uh, the second vision is of four horns and four craftsmen. Uh, Zechariah sees that these horns, these are the horns that brought judgment upon Israel, Judah, and Jerusalem. So basically, I don't know why it's a horn, but... Horns are not not fun. Horns, the horns brought the judgment. um, And then basically it's saying the craftsmen are now turning the horns onto the surrounding nations. Well, it's this idea of being poured out. That's what like the horns have like oil in it or whatever like that. So I think that it's the imagery of back in ancient times, the idea like they would pour out. That's from, true. From the, the hollow part part of the horn, so it wasn't like a horn attached to something or an animal, but as a horn that they used this, uh, uh, not a wine skin, but it, it was it was a method with which they carried something that was meant to be poured out. That makes sense. I think in my head I was thinking instrument horn. So that oh, like a trumpet, right? Oh, so see, maybe... my mind goes to actually like a, a cow horn kind of thing. That, yeah, that probably makes more sense. And if we're wrong, listeners, just let us know. And that's okay. <laughs> we shouldn't. We should have looked. That we up don't a promise to be right every time. Uh, but yeah, so now these horns, instead of all of the wrath being poured out onto Jerusalem, they're going to be poured out on the surrounding nations. So, <laughs> Sorry, hey, I'm just laughing cool. at the trumpet. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> well, there's a spit valve. I know that from I know that from being in band. <laughs> so God, it's true. God is pouring out the spit valve of the trumpet onto <laughs> the other so nations. Uh, there's a third vision of a man with a measuring line. So he was basically he sent in to measure how big is Jerusalem going to be? Um, an angel declares that the city will be so large that it will not even be able to have walls and it will be protected by the Lord. Um, it's a seeming conflict with Nehemiah, which is kind of interesting. So there's a couple ways you can interpret this. It could either be um, that it is symbolic. So it's not saying literally don't ever build a wall. It's just saying like, eventually, like like basically God will protect Jerusalem. Um, it could be pointing towards the new Jerusalem. So this is after the second coming of Christ where, yeah, there won't be any need for a wall. Although I think there are, I shouldn't, I don't know that off the top of my head. I think there are walls made of Jasper though, if I remember correctly. Either way, but basically <laughs> the idea that there won't be any, there won't be any war or conflict during that time. Um, it also is possible that Nehemiah overstepped this would be a very. This con- is my opinion. This would be no, a I'm just very. Kidding. Well, yeah, I was going to say this would be a very controversial opinion, um, but as I looked through Nehemiah, I did not see God directly command the walls to be built. So it was more of um, Nehemiah prays and then comes to the king and says, "I want to go back and build the walls of Jerusalem." Mm-hmm. So again, I, that's very like just kind of something that popped into my head. Yeah, and that would be a very controversial opinion, but it kind of lines up with the way to interpret Ezra. And we'll get to this when we talk about Malachi, but when Ezra commands the basically mass divorce of many of the Israelites and Malachi specifically goes against divorce, you kind of have to either do some interpretive, um, they're talking about two different kinds of relationships or um, one of them and it would be Ezra is wrong. So that would be kind of 
That'd be kind of interesting. Uh, the fourth, I actually just, I just want to read the whole thing here. It's a powerful vision about the restoration of Joshua, the high priest. And so this, uh, and this is the actual high priest at the time. Uh, he says, then the Lord showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing on his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. And is this not brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed in filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him, he said, behold, I have taken away your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by and the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus said the Lord, thus, thus says the Lord of hosts. If you walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. Um, so I just love that whole idea of, it's almost a kind of a gospel in miniature. It reminded me very much of Isaiah 6, where God calls Isaiah and he says, woe to me for I'm a man of unclean lips and God essentially forgives him. He redeems him and he sets him forward onto his path. We don't know what was happening with Joshua, but it seems to me clear that there is some sort of failing that he's had and he wrestles through, which is true of everyone. Um, and in this moment, what happens? God commands the angel of the Lord to take off his filthy garments and put on clean ones and essentially empower him for ministry. So just a really cool, I just love those. I love those kind of moments. I love the moments that also get to kind of point forward to the redemption of Christ out of the Old Testament. The uh, the fifth vision is of a golden menorah or a candlestick, I think is what most um, translations would say. But it's that one that like, if you, you know, when you think Hanukkah, that's what it is. It's kind of in the center of the temple there. Um, and so there are two great olive trees that produce the oil to always keep that candle, that menorah lit in the temple. Um, this seems to represent Joshua and Zerubbabel. So Joshua being the high priest and Zerubbabel being the governor of Judea at the time. It wasn't called Judea, but being the leader of Jerusalem at the time. Uh, Yahweh promises to empower them for ministry, which is where we get, and I didn't know this is where we get the famous line, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So basically making clear that theme of the judges where when these mighty things happen, hey, just so you know, that's not because you're awesome. It's because of the spirit of the Lord. And that's kind of what's happening here. The sixth vision is of a massive scroll, which is uh, 30 by 15 feet. So shout out to the ESV study Bible for uh, not making me have to say that in cubits or cubics. I forgot what they're called. Cubits. Cubits. Uh, and so this giant scroll carries the Lord's judgment uh, against those who would break his law in Israel. Um, it's like we said before, idol worship appears to be a thing of the past mostly, um, but there are still grievous sins being committed in Israel. And so here Zachariah is reminding the people, hey, like, do not break the law. Look yeah. at what happened the last time that all of this went down. Uh, the seventh vision is of a, this is kind of interesting, is of a woman in the in a basket who represents wickedness. Um, and I found out this was from, I think this is actually from uh, 
the essence of the Old Testament. It could be from the ESV study Bible too, but they're saying that the word, uh, the word for wickedness in Hebrew is a feminine word. So that's why it would be, um, I just thought that was kind of a fun little lang- a language fun fact, if you will. Uh, so she is sealed into the basket. So essentially angel of the Lord comes, seals wickedness into the basket with lead. And then two women with wings come and they pick up the basket and they fly it over to Babylon. So, which basically is saying like, hey, Wickedness belongs in the other nations, but not among God's chosen people. The eighth and final vision is of four chariots, which carry God's wrath to the surrounding nations. Uh, And then it concludes looking forward to the finished temple. So really cool deal there. Uh, And then finally, to wrap up the first half of the book, chapter seven and eight conclude that section uh, and they deal with the issue of fasting, issues of fasting. Uh, The people want to know. So this is actually really interesting. The people want to know because there was a day of fasting that was implemented to mourn the loss of Jerusalem. And they want to know, well, hey, like we're we're back now. Are we supposed to kind of keep fasting to remember what happened before? Or should we stop fasting and now start celebrating because we're back in Jerusalem? Uh, and Zechariah responds with one of the major themes of the prophets, and this is in all the prophetic books, basically. Um, Yahweh cares much more about true hearts than about the rituals. And the rituals are supposed to lead true hearts into worship of him, not just be done like, oh yeah, cool. Yeah, we're doing the ritual again. Yeah. Uh, And so he responds that God wants them to, and this is in chapter seven, uh, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. So that's his response to, should we keep fasting? And basically God says, yeah, how about you just follow the law? That's great. Let's let's do that (laughs) instead. Uh, Finally, the first half of Zechariah concludes with the prophecy about, uh, basically it's about the coming prosperity and peace that Jerusalem is going to experience. Uh, We'll see this fulfilled in the immediate future because Jerusalem obviously goes through a pretty long period of peace. Interrupted only by, I forgot the name of him, but the guy who sas- sacrifices a pig to Zeus in the temple and starts off the whole Maccabean revolt. That guy was a real, you know, turd. But other than that, <laughs> it goes pretty well for a while. Uh, and then obviously, it also points forward to the coming of the second Jerusalem when there will be eternal peace. Uh, chapter nine. So this is the starts off the second half of the book. Uh, it is most likely written much later than what came before. And I, like I said in the beginning, you'll notice a genre shift from uh, prose to poetry from a lot of the prophecy. There are two oracles in the second half of Zechariah. The first begins with the pronouncement of judgment on the kingdom surrounding Jer- Jerusalem. So that's kind of a theme that was there in the first book. Uh, but then it begins to talk about someone who might sound a little familiar <laughs> to us. So I just ha- I took a couple passages here to see if this, see if someone stands out here. It says, In chapter 9, starting in verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Huh. wonder if there's a king that comes into Jerusalem on a donkey. Which would be interesting. Wow, that's cool. I wonder if that comes up later. Uh, And then chapter, start going to verses 16 through 17. It says, on that day, the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people for like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land for how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish and new wine with young women. So just basically talking about the, this king who we're looking forward to when you know, when he does his his task, the Lord God will save his people. So, oh, wow, Jesus, cool. Um, so yeah, we're going to get to, obviously that's a that's a scene from the gospels. And we've talked about, we've talked what? about that already this year because we've done, we've done two gospels this year, right? We've done Matthew and John, Mark and John. 
I think Mark and John. I think Mark and John, yeah. Yep. We'll right. probably save it Matthew for Christmas time. That's true. <laughs> but we're, we're just, Matthew and Luke probably for Christmas time. We're putting a bunch of uh, we're putting a bunch of speculation into what's going to be. Listen, it's the end the- of September. I mean, we've got three months before the end of the year. Yeah, better get your Christmas lists going because that Christmas is coming. So yeah. And some of y'all are just like, I can't stand this podcast anymore. So <laughs> and some of you are just like, I'm so excited. Like your wife. I, Anyways, I'm a big I'm a big believer in Christmas. It's a good time. All right. Well, the uh, second oracle of, oh, sorry, I should say the rest of the first oracle looks forward to the coming Messiah and the age that is to come after that. Uh, The second oracle begins in chapter 12, and it points to the coming hope of Christ. And seemingly this is pointing towards his second coming. So the one that has not happened yet, like as, as we speak here in the present has not happened yet. Uh, there is also a warning that God's judgment will be coming. Uh, Check out this last chapter. Oh, so this is the last whole chapter of Zechariah, just because I like reading the last words. Um, I've heard that somewhere before. Yep. But hey, you know, here's a day that we've talked about a lot in the prophets. Let's see if what what (laughs) Zechariah has to say about, uh, about this. So in chapter one of verse 14, it says, behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped, and half the city shall go out in exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day he will stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that half the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. And you shall flee to the valley of mountains, for the valley of the mountain shall reach to Azal. And as you flee as as you fled from the earthquake in the day of Uzziah, the king of Judah, then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. On that day, there shall be no light, cold, or frost. And there shall be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor light, but at evening time, there shall be light. On that day, waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the Eastern sea and half of them to the Western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. The whole land shall be turned into into a plain from Geba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the former gate, to the corner gate, and to the tower of Hanael, to the king's winepress. And it shall be inhabited, for there shall ever be, never again be a decree of utter destruction. destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. So kind of looking forward to this this moment that we today in the year 2022 are also looking forward to of the second coming of Christ and this building of this new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth where we will get to inhabit. And I just love the, I love that last line of it shall be inhabited. There shall never again be a decree of utter destruction and Jerusalem shall dwell in security. I think that's a great way to to end it there. Well, before we move on to our Psalm highlight this week, we did want to say, take a moment to say, hey, you know, if you haven't left us a five-star review yet, we would love for you to do that, particularly on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That helps us out a ton. Uh, and on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a written review. And if you do, we will read it on air just because, you know, it's the kind of guys that we are. <laughs> and in our in our race to 100, which we just kind of made up on the, on the spot, uh, <laughs> Spotify now sits 
at 91. 91 ratings, man. Apple Podcast is at 86. And so if if both of those could get to 100 before, you know, before the end of the year, that would just be the ultimate Christmas present to me and Aaron. So <laughs> Yeah, there you go. That's that's how you you our dear listenership can uh gift us a present. No, I'm just kidding. Uh it's funny because I came in uh to this year just thinking, man, it'd be cool to to really see uh, continued engagement. And we've seen that, which has been really fun. So thank you for those ratings. Thank you for those reviews. Um, I do know like half of our listenership, I think Evan and I were discussing this, comes from Spotify. Uh, so it's been really fun to see that community kind of thrive and b- blow up and grow. And I think you said about 26% of our listenership comes from Apple Podcasts. Yeah. Uh, so it's, I mean, it's it's no, no surprise that Apple or Apple would fall a little bit behind as far as the ratings go. But uh, 91 sitting currently as of the the recording of this podcast from Spotify and 86. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for leaving reviews and ratings. Um, we love growing the community and seeing there's more people engaging with us. So uh, keep it up uh, and keep sending in those questions. Those are fun to answer too. Um, as Evan alluded to, we only actually have one psalm we're reading this week. Um which is a little bit of a change of pace because I feel like we've had so many Psalms whenever we've done Psalms. So, well, and especially just last week, it wasn't all Psalms, but just the extravaganza oh my goodness, of all yes. the books. This week feels a little bit more chill. Yeah. So we can kind of allow some, some of these books to breathe a little bit. So even the chapter today that we're going to hit, which is Psalm 36, um, I'm going to do what I've not typically done uh, this year and really kind of just take it a little slower than normal and kind of break it down for us for a quick snapshot of this uh, psalm. It's it's a total of 12 verses, uh, can be broken down in three different uh, sections. Um, and But before we jump into that, just I always try and give a little bit of background to it, the context of the psalm being written. Uh, this psalm, specifically Psalm 36, is a lament uh, that focuses on the wicked who oppose the faithful and on the steadfast love of the Lord. Uh, and at the end, you're going to find it concludes with a, pr- a prayer uh, to God that he and his steadfast love will protect his people from the attacks of the wicked. Um, so I'm going to read the whole Psalm here uh, and and kind of break it down, but you'll see it kind of break down in verses one to four. You'll see uh, this, uh, not accusation, but deep observation about how the wicked act without fear of God. Uh, you'll see in verses five to nine, uh, a, a portion of the Psalm that talks about God's precious steadfast love. Uh, and then the final three verses, four, four verses, um, 10, 11, 12, no, three verses. Sorry, I can't do math this morning. Um, I can never do math. <laughs> Uh, but uh, just it's a prayer reflecting on and asking God to show your steadfast love um, in response to the revelation of God's steadfast love. So you'll see this kind of breakdown in this passage in this chapter today is those three sections. Uh, so let's just read the psalm for a few moments. Uh, psalm 36 verse 1 says, An oracle, which kind of fits with our prophetic Ooh. literature today, uh, within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked person, dread of God has no effect on him. Uh, and this is David. It's a reflection of David writing uh, as well. So uh, the dread of God has no effect on the wicked. Verse two says, for with his flattering opinion of himself, he does not discover and hate his iniquity, which is deeply uh, uh, troubling uh, for any one of us to find that we have a flattering opinion, but we, and we don't, uh, we don't hate sin. Verse three, the words of his mouth uh, from his mouth are malicious and deceptive. He has stopped acting wisely and doing good. Even on his bed, he makes malicious plans. He sets himself on a path that is not good and does not reject evil. Uh, And that's describing the wicked, the one who is opposed to God, who uh, doesn't care and has no understanding of who God is and his sovereignty and his holiness. Uh, I'm reminded even of James, which we've talked about already, but the idea like, 
demons believe in who God is and they shudder. And the, the tension James creates in that is that demons have more reverence. The demonic, the, the followers of Satan have more reverence and understanding of who God is than we do. Uh, and that's the tension that it creates as well. Well, there's even, I, it makes me think about in the Old Testament, there's not a tension of believe in God. It is the tension of stop worshiping other gods. But the Israelites never yeah. doubt that Yahweh is real. They just doubt that like, oh yeah, he's like, he's our God, but you know, he doesn't have to be our God. He's just one of, they, they view him not as non-existent, which I, I think is the main struggle of people today. They view him as one of the pantheon of go, of gods in the ancient Near East. Yeah, so no, totally. So uh, so David's describing how the wicked man operates. The David is describing the motivation, the understanding, the clarity of, of the wicked man. Then he shifts the conversation to where he is then reflecting on, on Jehovah, on, on, on Yahweh. Verse five, Lord, your faithful love reaches to heaven, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your judgment like the deepest sea. Lord, you preserve people and animals. Um, you see, and there's even a song that we've seen in contemporary, not not necessarily 2022, but earlier on uh, in contemporary Christians, like your love reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness is like the clouds. There's, you see some of those poetic pieces that are in some contemporary worship songs. Um, he continues, says, how priceless your faithful love is, God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They are filled from a, the abundance of your house. You let them drink from your refreshing stream. For the wellspring of life is in is with you. By the means of your light, we see light. So you see David uh, contrasting the wicked person, his lack of, of awareness, his lack of understanding, his lack of, uh, of reverence for God. And he then contrasts like, God, you are so magnificent. Your love is so priceless. Like it's, it, he, he paints this picture of how extravagant, how incredible, how amazing God is. Uh, and then he writes this in verse 12. He then shifts to a responsive prayer. I think of the, an appropriate reflection. I would even say this in, in our contemporary worship moments, whether it's through song, whether it's through uh, other avenues of worship where we're doing something that, that we delight and we're reminded of God and who he is and his faithfulness, there should be a moment of responsive prayerfulness. Um, and, and remember, it's, he, he's contrasting this idea that, the, that there's wicked who oppose the faithful. There's, there's wicked people out there coming against me or coming against God's people. And he's, he's processing his thoughts in this psalm. And then he says this, spread your faithful love over those who know you and your righteousness over the upright in heart. Do not let the foot of the arrogant come near me or the hand of the wicked drive me away. There, the evil doers have fallen. They have been thrown down and cannot rise. And I just love that. I love the the response that David has in models for us uh, in face of opposition, in face of, of ridicule, in face of, uh, you know, seemingly for the Western American culture, persecution, because we view persecution, unfortunately, from a shallow perspective of they're, def they're, they're slandering me. They're making me look to be a bad person. Um, but the, the position of like, God, this wicked person has no fear of you. They are not aware of your sovereignty and your great God. Your love is extravagant. So in light of that, Lord, spread out your love around your people, protect the upright in heart. Um, and I just think it's a beautiful reminder and, and clear picture of how we can in righteousness have the right perspective in the midst of trials and, and problems that we face. Um, and so that's, so that's the Psalm we're going to read today or this week, actually. And so that's kind of a quick breakdown of it, but I, I just love the way David kind of methodically works through in those three sections and then responds with prayer. 
and then not celebrates the evildoers being fallen, but then observes like they will fall. They will not, uh, they will not have victory because they will be thrown down and won't be able to rise. And so, uh, but that, that wraps up Psalm 36, so the one we're doing this week. The one Psalm, I'm, I'm curious when we're actually going to end the Psalms because we've been going completely out of order. So at any point. It could just be done. It could, that could be the end. That yeah. could have been the end. Just it's then. probably going to be. It's probably going to be in December. To be honest with you, that's what because there's 150 of them, right? So I've heard that before. We just keep saying everything's in December now. Well, because I think they draw out the Psalms throughout the entire plan. Anyways. Yeah, that's probably true. Malachi. All right. Getting into Malachi. Uh, like we said at the top where Haggai and Zechariah were probably contemporaries of Zerubbabel and Joshua, Malachi seems to be a contemporary of Ezra and Nehemiah. So that next generation after that. Uh, the structure of Malachi is actually unique among all the prophetic books. Um, it is the only one that follows this question and answer format where essentially, and they're, they're all rhetorical, but essentially the way it works is... God will make an accusation, the people will question that accusation, and then God will give them an answer as to why the accusation is true. Um, So to give you an idea, and this one is uh, kind of more of a positive one. So this is in the chapter, in verse two of chapter one, Malachi says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau, and then, sorry, the Lord declares, is not Esau Jacob's brother? Yet I have loved Jacob. So right there, you see in one verse, the declaration is, I have loved you. The question is, how have you loved us? And then God basically puts out, hey, if you want to see how I've loved you, take, why don't you take a look at Edom? Because uh, I could have loved Esau instead of Jacob, and now Edom doesn't exist anymore. So have fun with that one. Uh, <laughs> which, obviously, that is a wide so, paraphrase. Some, some days I, I, I kind of wonder what it's going to be like to – if we could ever like just sit down with God and he can reflect <laughs> even our time on the podcast and be like, hey, Evan, you remember when you made that, that uh, paraphrase? That was accurate. Like, <laughs> oh, good, good work. Remember, <laughs> hey, remember Paul said how Cretans are just the worst. Oh man, there's moments like I just wonder, like God, <laughs> yeah, is that what you sounded like at times? But basically, his point, and, and you know, you can kind of get this idea that are the Israelites in this moment saying like, hey, like Jeru- Jerusalem was destroyed, like we've been through really hard times, and God's kind of pointing to. So remember. Israel's ancestor is Jacob. Edom's ancestor is Esau. Um, and Esau was the firstborn. There is very much a, there's an alternate reality where God loves Esau and Edom is the chosen people of, of Yahweh. And so he kind of points to them and says, if you, yeah, if you think you've had it rough, like Edom, just read Obadiah and you can get a good idea of what happens to them as well. Um, as the book goes on, we see the structure played out five times, and there's plenty of sub questions in there. So this isn't all of the question and answer things, but I just think it's kind of it's 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 interesting. I love that Malachi is so unique because it, yeah, it does it does mix it up from a lot of the prophetic books. Um, and so first one is on worship, and so the accusation is you have despised the name of Yahweh. The question is, how have we despised your name? Which that's pretty much always the question. Where it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. Not me, Lord. Um, and so, I don't know. That's my voice of the Israelites. Uh, <laughs> and then the answer is by- I don't op- know if that was accurate, but <laughs> it could be. The answer that God gives is by offering polluted animals on the altar. So basically when they're making sacrifices, and, and this, is, this comes up all through the Old Testament, um, you're not giving your best. You're just finding a sick cow among your herds and like, oh yeah, that one's fine. Give that one to the Lord. And, yeah. and Yahweh is like, no, 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 you give me your best. I yeah. am worthy of your worship. Uh, the second one is on divorce. And then, so the accusation is Yahweh no longer accepts the offerings of his people. So the people are lamenting because, and so this is the one, sorry, this is the one where it's interesting because the question is not, 
how are you not accepting us? It's actually, they understand that that's happened. They're like, why is this not being accepted anymore? They've, they've realized that something is wrong with their sacrifices. Um, and he says specifically, because of the faithlessness that you have shown to your wives. And so the the ways that this is in contrast, that you can contrast this with Ezra, there's a couple different ways you do it. Again, the the one that I think I lean towards is that Ezra was wrong. Um, but oh, that, really? but again, that's, hmm. that's, that's a controversial take. Um, but that's where I kind of lean. The other way that you could say it is that all of the, the Israelites that they're talking about were married to Israelite women and they specifically left those women to marry, um, uh, to marry non, non-Jews. And so what Malachi is doing is berating them for the faithlessness they've, faithlessness they've shown their wives. And what Ezra is doing is telling them to return to their wives is theoretically also how you could phrase it. Or that Malachi is just talking to Jewish men and their Jewish wives, and Ezra is just talking to Jewish men and their, well, I guess I shouldn't say men, but Jewish spouses and their non-Jewish spouses. So anyway, there's a, there's a few different ways to translate that there. Either way, God is very upset with the way that the men of Israel have been treating their wives and he has not accepted sacrifices for a little bit here, basically to show them that he's not pleased. Uh, On the question of justice, the accusation is you have wearied Yahweh with your words. And the question is, how have we done that? Come on, how we couldn't weary you. And then the answer is by complaining about injustice and not doing anything about it. Shots fired. Or worse, blaming God. Boy, that boy, that fits today. <laughs> like, isn't that just like <laughs> so basically the, the point is like there's going on, like, oh God, there's so much injustice in the world. And he's like, Yeah, what are you doing about it? Like I'm complaining to you about it. It's that meme where God's poking him with a stick, like, do something. <laughs> like, don't just complain. And the worst one, they've they've gone up. And, it, um, and basically just said like, oh, like God doesn't even care. God doesn't care about justice in the world. And it's like, whoa, like that would be, yep, that's how you would weary yep, the Lord with your words. Uh, on tithing, and this is the famous one, if you, if any, any offering message about the tithe kind of brings <laughs> this one in, uh, but it's how that's have so you, true. or the accusation is you have robbed God. And the question is, how have we robbed you? Not, not me, Lord. And then the answer is by not giving your tithe or your contributions to the temple. And so remember, under under the old covenant, the law was 10% of your wealth, because it wasn't money back then for the most part. It was, you know, animals, yeah. um, your your crops, things like that. Yeah, because it was a bartering system. Right. You gave that to the temple um, specifically as offerings to the Lord, but also to take care of the Levites who didn't have land and agriculture and things like that, that they they were the temple workers. Yeah. And so, was, and so when you don't do that, the temple falls into disarray and there's a whole big thing. So do not, he was telling them, Hey, don't neglect giving of your tithe and your contributions, uh, on rewards. The, and this is the final one. Uh, the accusation is you have spoken against Yahweh. And the question is, you know, as, as you can probably guess listeners, how have we spoken against you? Prove it. And the, yeah, that's a dangerous thing to say to the <laughs> Lord. Uh, and the answer is you have said, what is the point of following God's commands? So basically like, hey, you know, it doesn't seem like anything really changes when we follow the law. So what's even the point? Very Job, Joby vibes here. <laughs> um, and this one's not specifically Job himself, but you know, there's a lot of like, uh, basically, yeah, what's the point? If like, if we're not going to get blessings every time that we follow God's commands, why should we even do it? And then so God's like, hey, you know, maybe, maybe because I'm God and, and you're living in an incredibly blessed time right now, but. You Dude, know. how easy is it to to 
even today, every single one of these questions I could totally ask. Yep. I literally like, I, you've despised God. How have I despised it? Because you don't, you don't come with your best in mind. You don't come yep. with the, uh, you don't like when it, I don't offer animals, right? But if I walk into a gathering, like I'm not, my mind's not focused on worshiping God. My mind is focused on singing a song, getting through the gap. Like how crazy is it that I could literally in every single one of these, like, oh yeah, what would I, what would I, oh, like. Yeah, like. And I and I could even in my 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 logical mind back. Like, well, this is Old Testament stuff. These things don't apply to me. I don't I don't do. I'm not sacrificing animals on an altar, so that this this one doesn't apply to me. Like no, like every single one of these. Because go back to um, Zechariah, the whole idea of the heart. Yeah. Like it got God cares about how about you just how about you, just, you keep your heart near me, keep your heart open to me, respond to me with an with a sincere heart, like. Uh, like that, that's like at the end of the day, like all of these are heart issues and they're just practical ways in ancient times that revealed the, the intent of the heart. And today we've got to translate that and move it forward. But still, that's just crazy. Well, yeah, I mean, even to just bring them all into the present, like, like you said, we're not offering animals anymore, but like, are we giving God our best? Mm-hmm. And I would say it's not even, um, we're not, it's what we do on a Sunday gathering, but also just in our lives. Every day of our lives, yes, Like, absolutely. are we are we giving God priority in mm-hmm. our lives or is he just kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, as long as I get everything else done, I'll go, you know, yeah. spend time in prayer, spend time in the word. If I have time. I'll go serve others. I got yeah. other things I have to do if I have time for those. Yeah, the faithfulness we show to our wives. is, And I, I, you can apply that to both spouses as well. Absolutely. Like, how are we treating our spouses is the way that we treat our spouses honoring to God. Um, complaining about injustice and not doing anything Gee, about that, it. That's, you don't even that's have to, easy. We won't yeah, you don't even have to like bring that out of the time. Just look. Um, not giving your tithe or contributions to the temple. Like, are we giving? Like, yeah. does our money, does the way we spend our money reflect that God is a priority in, in our hearts? Or is it just, again, like it, with, um, God with is talents? The, I would even say God is the priority in our hearts, right? Yeah. Uh, because that's part of the tension. And I'm not saying that we have to give everything, but there is a natural response uh, I, I think I've heard it said this way, like a heart touched by God wants to give. Like right. there, it does it show that God, God's love, God's truth has changed my life and I'm doing and giving in light of that truth. But yep. yeah. And then finally, yeah. And, and this is the last one you don't even have to bring out, but it's just thinking to yourself, well, what's the point of even, you know, what's the point of not sinning? And you could bring that into the like, nothing really seems to change. Yeah. You could also bring it into like, and on the other side of Christ, it's the whole uh, the antinomian thing where it's like, yeah, you know, God God forgives, so I can do whatever I want, and then who cares if I f- obey because He'll forgive me anyway. Yep. And that's like, well, well, that's well God already knows. At the end of the day, He knows all these things anyway. So why should I even try? Like, yeah, it's it's what's the point of following God's will, God's ways, and you see, and not necessarily the, the law, but Jesus fulfilled the law, so following Christ's model and method. So, mm. uh, dude, yeah, just it's funny because I and I say that not to be like argumentative, not to be bringing up, but I just think it's. Sometimes it's really it's really easy for for me, and and I would say for so many of us to read Old Testament books like this. Well, that that was about these things that don't apply to me. Right. All of Scripture applies to me because at the end of the day, it's the heart issue that God is is actively redeeming and has act, and has redeemed the, the 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 relationship because. But now He's calling our hearts to be reflective and engage with that truth. So um, th- that's a big deal and a big thing. So, anyways, sorry. Total side tangent, but I just think it's important to understand there are there are easy applications for us today in reading books like this, even though they may not, they're old covenant, there's still new covenant implications because of them. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so finally, we're going to read the last words of Malachi, I which, why. which are coincidentally the last words of 
like not coincidentally, he was the last prophet. Yeah. So, so uh, these are the last words of the entire Old Testament canon. Yeah. This is it. Which is so fun. The next words of scripture that we read, if you're actually- If, if you're, you're reading, reading page forward, yeah. Yeah, would be the opening of the gospel of Matthew. And fittingly, Malachi is going to close it out with a message about the, the day of the Lord, which, oh, we've, hey. which we've talked about. I don't know if I've heard of that before. Very often. So funny. Uh, so for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will, will be stubble. The day is coming, shall set them ablaze. The day that is coming shall sh- set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with its he- with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. I I, I love that. Both both of those poetic metaphors are beautiful to me. The idea of the sunrise bringing the hope, and then just the joy of like if you've ever seen a young calf, like when it gets put out of the stall just to go run around. That's what he's describing there. Uh, and you shall tread down with the wicked, for they will be ashes under the sole of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to fathers, lest I come and strike down the land with a decree of utter destruction. So it is this moment of hope, of looking forward to, and it it reminds me of the ending of Zechariah that we just talked about was there will not be a decree of destruction. And it's looking forward to this hopeful moment. I, like I said, I love the imagery of just the sunrise bringing healing in its wings for all of God's people and looking forward to that day. And uh, I would say this is pretty clearly looking forward to this, the second coming of Christ when all of, all of God's uh, story of salvation culminates. So really cool. Agreed. All right. Well, we did have time. We have time for a question this week, listeners. So this wasn't quite the full extravaganza that we did. So yeah, last week's, I think we went an hour and a half long. Yeah, it was. Our- and here's the, I'm not apologizing for how long we are. So thank you, Steve Reed, for giving us the grandpa, Steve, for giving us the green light. There you go. But uh, it was definitely a long one. So. All right. But well, not today. Not today. today. Today's a perfect amount of time. Today will be under an hour for sure. Uh, Here's the question. Hi there, most esteemed ba- scholars of Let's Read the Bible. I almost <laughs> said ballers. That's funny. Uh, I have a question. I am confident in my doubt, and today I read Amos 3.7, for the Lord does nothing without revealing his secrets to his servants, the prophets. Is this still true, or does the Holy Spirit count? Uh, we talk and sing all the time about how even when we don't see it, God is working, but I don't think I've ever had a prophet come up to me and say, God is going to do blank. Uh, so does that mean I'm oblivious or that nothing is going on for me right now? Uh, sec- well, Sorry, there's three questions. So we'll answer the first one. Yeah. Uh, I would say that what this is referring to is massive works in the story of, of God's salvation, if that makes sense. And so what we see in the Old Testament is every single time God does anything, there is not a prophet who says, you know, hey, do this. Like, like God speaks to David directly in moments. God speaks to Solomon directly in his moments. What we do see is when... For instance, the coming destruction of Jerusalem, which is a huge deal. That is a, and it doesn't feel that way to us today just because we don't live under that covenant. That is a massive covenant change where, and obviously the the Israelites broke covenant. So God was completely within his right to do that. But the old covenant was basically about like the protection of the land of Israel that changes. And so what do we see? The prophets for generations are like, this is coming. This is coming. Stop it. Go back to stop worshiping idols. Come on. I mean it this time. All right, fine. That's it. Like this is kind of like the, the section that we see. Um, we see the prophets. What's the, what's the greatest shift 
ever in human history. It's the coming of Christ. So we see the prophets looking forward to that. We just read through some of it in Zechariah and, and, and Malachi today, not in Malachi, but in Zechariah, we see the, the prophecy of the coming Messiah and what's going to happen. So the prophets are moving through there. In the New Testament, what do we see? I, I would say that the, the office of apostle in the New Testament carries with it a lot of the weight of prophet where they are receiving special revelation from God and they're talking about what is going to change. So I, when Amos is saying that, I don't think it means literally any time that God ever intervenes in the world. I think it's talking about basically massive shifts of covenant. So I don't know if you if you agree or disagree there, Aaron. No, I think it's right. I think um, that when that when God is speaking uh, through a prophet, it it's specific, especially in the Old Testament. Especially, and I'm thinking in terms of Amos, right, where the the quote is there. Um, he reveals. He, he, we only understand in part. Scripture is very clear about that. So we're not always going to get every secret that God shares, uh, but we're going. But God does reveal His secrets, or God does reveal portions of His plan. Uh, and Amos in the Old Testament, specifically as the primary means, one of the primary means of God's communicating to His people and revealing direction and plan and and and. And the plan, I think of Moses even staying at the Red Sea, uh, the whole idea of parting the Red Sea, Moses, God revealed to Moses, put your hands up, I'm going to provide a way of out through the Red So mm-hmm. there's layers to that too, where I think God God reveals his secrets. Um, and now I kind of move forward into like some of the questions that he, that that the question questioner is asking. By the way, thank you for calling me a scholar. That's awesome. Um uh, is this still true? I think God does still speak. The Holy Spirit is a primary method where the Holy Spirit speaks to us individuals, followers of Christ. Right. Um, and, but I don't know if it's going to be a, hey, thus says the Lord. Uh, God is going to blank. I think that's where sometimes I think we we rely on on God's revelation through pastors, teachers, and all of those different individuals. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I would say a lot of like con- contextually, God used prophets as a primary way to communicate to God's people. Uh, and that has shifted a little bit today where God, there's more opportunities where the Holy Spirit is is the the teacher. He, he's the revealer. Uh, he's, he's referred to as the illuminator of scripture. Um, so there's those layers to it for sure. Um, and then the role of prophet, I think is still present today. Yeah. Um, well, that, but that, that's that's a different part of the question. Yeah. So. so that brings us to the second part of the question: yeah. Who is a prophet? What is a prophet? And so there's yeah, I think I think there's two different kinds of mm-hmm. prophets. So you have kind of the capital P. I wrote a book of the Bible yeah. <laughs> prophet, um, or I mean, with, I guess in Elijah's case, you know, he didn't write a book of the Bible, but very clearly, yeah. But he was established at, and I would say it's a positional, right? So capital P positional yeah. uh, role within God's. Sovereign plan. That's what I would say. Like the role of prophet, capital P, is a position God elevates someone to in His plan. Yep. So the all prophets, because like you said, I think there are prophets today. All prophets take the word of the Lord and they preach it and they apply it in in ways to the culture. Um, The old prophet, like what are the Old Testament prophets doing? They're all taking the law. Which we don't think about very often, but they are—they're all referring to True. stop breaking the law. Here is the law, you know, do the things that God says to do in the law. What separates the capital P prophets is that they are also given special divine revelation that is to be written down as as the word of mm-hmm. God. Um, that I don't think happens today, and I, I want to be me and Aaron were kind of discussing this beforehand because yeah. I think it's kind of an interesting thing. Um, I think that the canon of scripture is closed. I think that revelation, if you had to, if you just asked me, 
is Revelation going to be the last book of the Bible before the second coming of Christ? I would say yes, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I don't think there's evidence to say definitively that there will never again arise a special revelation from the Lord. Um, but we said it very, very carefully. Yeah, just want to be very clear, very, very carefully. Yes, because it's like there's a chance. Yes, but. Yeah, again, I don't think it's going to happen. And the other thing is it would have to be accompanied because what do we see when God provides special revelation? There are miracles upon miracles where God is making clear, no, 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 this person is for real. And yeah. I have and I have um I have given them my revelation. So I'm not talking about, you know, cult leaders. I'm not mm-hmm. talking because yeah, obviously today in the world there's a ton of people saying like, I have new revelation from God. It's like, no, like you're, you're you wish. Yeah, you're a psycho. You're but uh psycho might be strong, but you're a you narcissist. Know. We'll say narcissist. There least. you go. Um but yeah, so to to be clear, I don't think that that exists anymore. And I don't yeah. think it will happen. But I also don't I don't want to be so dogmatic that I would say that it's for sure locked in, never going to happen. I mm-hmm. think there is a world where God could choose to do that if he wanted to. Because um, it could have also very easily happened with Malachi, where we say like, yeah, that was it. That was done. And, yeah. then, we, and then we all of a sudden lose the gospels and the epistles. Yeah, because, absolutely. Yeah. So that's the thing. I would want and yeah, to and there was a 400 year period between Malachi and Matthew. Yeah. Where, so that God didn't say anything. So, yep. so that's why we can say theoretically, like there's a, there's a possibility. Yes, absolutely. Um, but we're, we're, I would say, I agree with Evan where I'm pretty convinced that the canon of scripture is closed. Yeah. So today I think the office of prophet is that um, they are people who, again, apply scripture to culture. Mm-hmm. And so that, cause that's what we see what, what the prophets are doing all throughout uh, history. And I also think there are prophetic gifts. And so there are there is revelation that God gives to people. And again, this is not like inspired word of God, write it down in the Bible revelation. Um, but it is just words that people yeah. have where all of a sudden, um, you know, and I've experienced it in my life, I've seen it happen where people just clearly feel impressed by the Holy Spirit. I need to go talk to this person about a situation in their life that they have no right knowing about. And mm-hmm. then they just go in and talk. And it's, it's just, it's an incredibly faith building moment for both people, for the person exercising the gift to kind of realize like, oh, wow, that was from the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Uh, but then from the other person to kind of get that kind of word from the Lord. Um, I would say it's not one of those things that we need to like be chasing everywhere and yeah. think that's happening. But clearly the gift of prophecy is still active today in that sense as well. Yeah. Uh, and and thir- I, th- I think oh. that's a really good distinguishment too. Like I, I and and Evan and I talk about some of these questions before we even record the podcast. And that was one of the things I thought you brought up that I think is a really good reminder. Like it's it's a byproduct of the spiritual gift. Uh, it's a spiritual gift of prophecy or a pro- being able to speak prophetically. I think that's the big thing. And it all, it hinges on the Holy Spirit's work too. So um, I think that's really significant and, and important because I, yeah, I would agree. Prophecy still happens today um, through the gift of, of, of prophecy that the Holy Spirit enables his, his followers mm-hmm. to do. So I think it's a good point. The third question, luckily, is an easy one. Uh, so it's just, what's the difference between prophecy and prophesy? When I say that, you're like, oh, that's the difference. But when you read it, <laughs> yeah, it is it's really, a little tricky. It is really confusing because it's prophecy with a C and then prophecy with an S. So the prophecy with a C is, it's a prophecy, right? Yeah. That's the thing. Prophesy, which is the, it looks like prophecy just with an S. Yep. That is the act of prophesying. Yep. So it's you, the speaking element of what the prophecy is. Yep. You would prophesy a prophecy, Ooh, I guess. There you go. That's the a great way to put it. it. So, Anyway, that's pretty much it. Uh, yeah, that's a fun question. Yeah, thank you for sending it in. I hope I hope it made sense. I hope we made sense. If not, feel free to send us back uh, a reply and we'll try and clarify as best we can. So, 
All right. Well, that does wrap it up for another episode of Let's Read the Bible. As a reminder, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of the Grove Church. You can find our other resources on our website, grove.church under the media tab. And if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you'd like to consider financially supporting the ministry that the Grove Church does, you can also do that on our website. There's a give button in the upper right-hand corner. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day.